people, at the end of every aisle, there is a Bible in the seat. And um, so uh, grab that, and, and you guys can kind of follow along with me. Uh, as we came into the book of John, we were confronted with the truth that Jesus is more than just a mere man. He's, he's more than uh, a great teacher, a, a great prophet, um, a, a healer. He is a God in flesh. And, and that's exactly what John set out to do at the beginning of his gospel, was to, was to prove that truth and to demonstrate that truth. Well, he does it, and, and we've seen it, and we've looked at it, and, and the implications of that truth are absolutely amazing. Uh, just the, 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 the reasons that he came, for example, are, are presented right here in these first verses. He came so that any who would receive him and believe in him could become children of God. And so that was the purpose that John gave in the opening of his book. This is why Jesus is here. So that you can be saved, so that you can be brought into his family, so that you can become or be reunited with the God who created you. That's the whole reason that Jesus came, or the, the, the reason that sums it all up. Okay, so we come, we come to that passage, and we, we get to the end of that passage, you know, that Jesus beca- or, or, or God became flesh, and dwelt among us. The, the uh, passage expounds on that, and it, it demonstrates to us that in Jesus, the God who was invisible, the God who nobody had ever seen, becomes evident, becomes visible to us. And so we see that, that Jesus is God and that he's demonstrating to us who God is. Well, then John the apostle changes his focus and he begins to speak about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is this amazing prophet who who was sent with a very specific purpose to call out and point to Jesus Christ. Now, one of my favorite things about John the Baptist was he was never about himself. And we'll talk a little bit about more about him later, but but I want you to remember that as we went through and talked about John the Baptist and looked at his life, He was such an amazing presence. He was such an amazing uh, uh, speaker in that time that there were people from all over the region coming to see him, coming coming to hear him speak of repentance and be baptized. He was he was a huge. Um, thing that was going on in the time of Christ. And, and in fact, you know, uh, the, the last time we saw John, he was actually giving up some of his disciples to Christ. He was a humble messenger. Never once did he stand up and say, I'm the man. I got it all figured out. And if you'll just follow me, you'll be all right. He was always pointing people to the Messiah. When challenged about who he was and by what authority he did things, he never said, hey, it's me. I'm the man. He never said that. He always pointed people to Jesus. And so through that and with that, I think that that gives us a great challenge as we move into this new year that no matter what happens in this church and among these people, among us, never do we ever point credit to ourselves or try to exalt ourselves or or, or try and tell people, well, the way he's got it figured out, you know, if you just, no. We need to be defined, just like I said last week, not by who we are and how great we look and and what a good show we put on, but by the fact that God's active and evident among us. We should be defined not by what we do or how we're different, but by the fact that the the very fact that God is is living in our lives and changing us and making us new. Well, tonight, we revisit uh, the last passage that we we read from, and and we'll look at that a little bit. Um, 
but it emphasizes some things that happened with Andrew and Peter. Now, Andrew was one of the disciples of John that was standing there when he heard John the Baptist pointing to Jesus. That's the Lamb of God. He's the one I've been telling you about. He's the guy that's going to save the world. And Andrew hears it and follows Jesus with another disciple. And most people think that that's either Thomas or John. I, I kind of lean towards thinking it's John. But since we don't know for sure, you know, we're not, we're not going to make any case over that. But they, they are seen by Jesus, and Jesus says, what are you seeking? And so as we start tonight, as, as, as we pick up kind of where we left off in this passage, I want to put this question back in your mind. What are you seeking? Are you seeking all of the good that can come from, from knowing Christ? Is that what you're seeking first? Or are you seeking Christ himself? You see, because ultimately, all of those things, we can have all of those things. We can have a, a semblance of peace in our life. We can have a semblance of joy in our life. We can have some idea of success in our life. But the reality is, is that if we get there without Christ, the reality is, is it's all fleeting. And it's all going to lead to emptiness. We... We need to understand what we're seeking. We need to know that the, the, the very first thing that we're seeking is God himself, is it, it, Christ. And that's where I challenge you to start tonight. That's where I think that we need to start tonight, is that question from Christ, what are you seeking? Well, here we go. Let's pick up the passage. It's John chapter 1, and it's going to be verses 35 through 42. And if you guys will just read along with me, I'll... I'll I'll talk about it and, and make some explanation along the way, and then we'll get into the, to the meat of what I've got to say tonight. I actually told Amy before we came here, I've got so many things to say. I, I, I don't know where to, where to, what, what to really give you. And she said, well, can't you break it up? I said, no. So you guys are just going to have to be here for a while. So hang on with me, and uh, I, really, I don't plan to keep you here that long. But I think there's some great things that we need to see here. Let's we'll start in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus, turning around. Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? Or what are you seeking? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Now he challenges them with this question, What do you want? What are you seeking? And automatically their answer demonstrates that they understand that Christ, that, that Jesus is not just a mere man. They're not yet calling him Lord. They're not yet calling him uh, you know, Messiah, but, but they are saying rabbi. They're, they're, they're demonstrating their knowledge that he's, that he's someone different, that he's something special. They say rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so ultimately what's happening here is that they're, they're basically saying, hey, we want to come to your house. We're going to invite ourselves over to dinner, and, and we want to sit with you and talk with you. And so they go, and the, and the passage goes on to show that, you know, it's late in the day. It's probably about 4 p.m., depending on which clock you go by. But he said, it says that they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard John and said, who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Now I want you to notice the difference. They walk up to him and they address him as rabbi. When Andrew's done, when Andrew spent the day with him, he goes home and he tells his brother, we found the Messiah. 
You see, when you meet Jesus, he doesn't leave you the same. Your ideas, your outlook on life, your life is changed and transformed. He may have still been a rabbi. He, he may still have, they, they, they would, would have likely seen him still as a, a teacher. But he's more than just a teacher. He's the Messiah. Now, what I, wanna, what I really want to focus on tonight is just the things that are happening in this passage. You see, what, what, what's happening is we see, we see, in a sense, in a way, three things that demonstrate some evangelism happening, some transformation happening in life, some, some new people coming into the faith. When we first looked at this passage, I challenged you that disciples, you know, we're, we're, we have a flawed view of the word disciple. We think of a disciple as a follower of Christ, and that's mainly because of our culture and the way most of us are churched, and, you know, we've always grown up hearing the disciples and automatically tuning in to the 12 apostles. Some of us may think of the the disciples in a general sense, in a a more general sense, followers of Jesus. But the reality is, and and I talked about this a few weeks ago, the reality is, is that John the Baptist is said to have disciples. In fact, in this very passage, we see that they refer to his followers as, as disciples of John the Baptist. We see that um, uh, in extra-biblical writings, John and Peter were both said to have disciples. And the truth is, is that Socrates and Aristotle, if you were to speak the Greek language, were said to have had disciples. You see, Jesus didn't have the corner on being a teacher, and he didn't have the corner on the market on being the only one that had students or learners that followed him. But, but, but what happens with a disciple is it's more than somebody that just listens once and walks away. See, a disciple was somebody that became a learner. And you haven't really learned anything if you haven't learned something. You see, let me, let me break that out just a little bit further. You haven't learned anything if it hasn't changed you in some way. Now, I'm not talking about gross or, or just massive change in your life. It could just be a simple outlook on you see, I haven't taught anything if you haven't learned anything, and you haven't learned anything if you don't come out of here with some new idea or some new outlook or some different way to perceive the world. Learning, I can reinforce, and I can build upon things that you've already learned, but the reality is for you to learn, there's got to be something that happens inside of you that you pick up new information or or something about you changes, no matter how minute. You see, that's the learning process. And so as these people would follow, as they would learn, they would begin to emulate. They would begin to to change and, and emulate or imitate or even reflect the one they're learning from. You see, a disciple was someone that that learned and, and followed so closely that they, they wanted to imitate. They trusted their teacher so much that they wanted to imitate him. In fact, Paul, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, and that church, I'll just tell you, they were a messed up group of people. I mean, I'm glad that you guys aren't even a tenth as messed up as they are. They were messed up. They had all kind of sin in their life, and they were, <clears throat> they, they were proud of it in some cases. And, and Paul tells them, Paul says to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see, his idea was is that as he's imitating Christ and they're seeing Christ lived out in him, as they begin to imitate him, ultimately, they begin to look like Christ. And so 
that's what the disciples were all about. That's, and, and that's what began to happen. And so as we come to this passage, we see that these guys become disciples of Christ. How and why? Three things I, want you to, I, wanted to, I just want to say to you and point out to you. First, they were engaged with truth. They were introduced to, to the truth by someone they knew and trusted. And then that truth had a lasting impact on their lives. First, let's think about that they were engaged with truth. I'm reading a book by a man named Craig Groeschel. I don't know if you guys know him. I don't know what you think about him. Um, and, and ultimately, I don't usually uh, make points from people's books. But this struck me because this guy is the pastor of a huge church. Uh, and I think they started somewhere in Kansas or Oklahoma. I can't remember exactly where, but somewhere in that general area. The name of his church is Life Church, and they have a website called Life Church TV. And in fact, they're so big, they, they have campuses all over the U.S., and they, they webcast or they uh, simulcast. That's the, that's the correct word. Thank you. They simulcast these videos, his preaching, to all of these places. Um, in fact, they boast that they have an Internet campus that meets completely online. No matter how you feel about that, that's, that's not what I want you to take away from this. What I, what I want you to hear is... What, what I think is the heart of a man who now has one of the most technologically advanced and most, um, uh, well, a huge, one of the biggest churches in America. He says, we didn't have a nice building. We didn't have our own office. We didn't have a church phone, unless you count my home phone number. We didn't have a paid staff. We didn't have a logo, sermon series, or I'm sorry, we didn't have a website. We didn't serve Starbucks. We didn't have sermon series with clever titles lifted from Baywatch episodes, what we did have, or what did we have? We had a few people. You could count them on both hands. Well, Jerome, you couldn't, but you could. Jerome had lost some fingers, and, and so he's making a joke about that. Those people were off the charts excited about Jesus. We had enough Bibles to go around, and we had it. Now, the name of the book is It, and he, he points out early on that he's not ever going to define it. He's going to help you see some things about what it is, but he never defines it for you. But I love the very end, the very, the very last line, is that we had a few people that were excited about Jesus. Because here we stand, and we're talking about getting a website, and we've got this building that we're meeting in now. And, but you know what? It's none of that. It's absolutely none of that that's going to make a difference in a person's life. You see, these guys, their lives were transformed. They were changed because they were engaged with the truth. Now, we're going to use buildings, and we're going to use websites, and we're going to podcast, and we're going to do some advertising of, of sorts, and, and we're going to reach out to our community in different ways, and, and we're going to look at ways of letting people know we're here. But once they know we're here, if we do anything other than engage them with the truth, we are letting them down. Because the truth is the only thing that transforms. The truth is the only thing that will ever make a difference in their life. You see, they can come here and they can listen to Jackson and, and, and all of the, all, and the, and the band and they can hear some great songs. And, you know, we had different lights on tonight and it made it a different feel and a little more intimate feel. You know, you didn't feel like you're in this cold, stark building. But, but the reality is, is, is that's just a mood that that sets. 
You see, it's the words of those songs that made the difference. The truth that once I was blind and now I can see that, that God has set me free, that my chains are broken, that's the difference. You see, that's the truth that changes lives. You're a sinner. You're lost and you deserve nothing from God, but he loved you enough and, and that love shines so brightly and is so extravagant compared to who we really are. That's the truth. And he came and he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. You know, and I don't know exactly what Jesus said to those men as they sat in his house, probably ate his food and hung out with him. I, I don't know if they talked about fishing. You know, these two guys are fishermen. He's a carpenter. I don't even know what they have in common. But whatever he said, whatever it was, when Andrew left, Jesus wasn't just a rabbi. He's the Messiah. And it transformed him so drastically that he wasn't keeping it to himself. Now, you need to understand that Jesus, I mean, you think John was weird. Well, Jesus is telling people, that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I'm God in flesh. And, and he's got this story that nobody can believe. And in fact, his people push him away. The people he came to wouldn't receive him. They, they, they try to kill him on numerous occasions. Finally, they do because of who he said he was, because of his story. But when Andrew believed it, despite all other things, when he got up and left, he immediately began to tell people. He had a desire to seek out his brother and let him know. He'd been transformed because he had been engaged with truth. They were never, or I'm sorry, they were introduced to truth by someone they knew and trusted. Now, the things I'm going to say, I'm not, a, I'm not about to discourage you to share at the drop of a hat or to some stranger. I know it works. Walked up to a guy's door, knocked on it. This is several years ago. Knocked on his door. He didn't answer. In fact, the people that I was with, it was a guy named Carlos and a lady named Dana. We were just about to walk away. We were down the stairs. We were, we were halfway down the stairs. The door opens up. He leans out and he looks and he calls us back and he says, Oh, come on in. You know, I thought you guys were the census people. So that, that tells you how long ago it was. It was back in 2000, I guess. I thought you were the census people. And I was trying to avoid all that. He invites us in, and we begin to talk to him, and then we begin to share the gospel. I was blown away by how ready this guy was to accept the gospel. He began to share with us of how God had been working in his life, not just by us showing up, but by what God was doing before that. I mean, he'd written a letter to the newspaper. It had been published in the newspaper about, uh, it was actually a poem, um, about how long will you wait on me? How long? How 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 far will you go for me? And and this amazing poem that he knew that God was seeking, that God was chasing after him. And and, and so um, anyway, we shared the gospel, and, and and he's just really waiting for us to get to the point that all everybody in our culture is waiting for. You know that that understands what the gospel call is about, or you know we always get to this point. Well, do you want to pray this prayer? He was so ready for that. In fact, he was so ready for that that I think he was probably, and I know he was a believer already. He, he was a believer before we got to that point, and he was just waiting for respond, to, to respond in that way. And, and, and so I don't want to discourage you in that. I don't want to discourage you from, from taking opportunities to share whenever you can. But I want to encourage something especially, especially uh, tonight, and, and that's that 
when you share with people you love and the people you know and, and people who you're in a relationship with, if you're truly a believer and, and, and if God's really alive and at work in your life, it's not going to surprise them, first off. It's not going to be something that all of a sudden, where'd this guy come from? You know, where, where, what is she talking about? They're already going to know. And so as you begin to share with them and talk with them, first, it's not a surprise. But second, they already see an example of what's happening in you. They should already know that, that you know what, you, maybe you don't have a, a testimony like mine and that's just full of crazy things that you did and stupid decisions that you made and God saved you from it and tra- changed you. And, and now you can, you, you know, you can tell people and wow them with how sinful you were. You know, maybe that's not your story. But the truth is, is that there's not a person in this room that wasn't saved from the same things I was. Maybe you didn't do those things, but you were the same sinner. You're, you're still, uh, you, you still were, were, were lost in it. And so as we talk to people and deal with people that we know, they, they should see it evident in our lives. And when we begin to speak with them, it's not a surprise, but on top of it, then you're involved in their life enough that you can continue to walk with them. You see, we, we have this idea. Well, we, re, we, we, we read Matthew chapter 28, uh, verses 19 and 20. You know, you get to the Great Commission, and, and you read it as, we read it as, um, go therefore and make Christians. I mean, that's, that's the mindset we have. That's not what it says. It says, go therefore and make disciples. Make students, make learners, people who see Jesus, who, who begin to, to check him out and begin to, to walk with him, and then... The conversion happens, not by what you've done, not by the words that you shared or by the fact that you got somebody to pray a prayer, but Jesus makes it happen. You see, we, we, we come to this point where we think, oh, I'm, I'm just going to bring it to them and I'm going to bombard them with this truth and they're just going to respond and it's going to be happy and exciting and everybody's going to get it. No, they're not. I struggled with this for uh, three out of the four years that I was going to China. We'd go into this culture that worships many gods, that is, is giving offerings and sacrifices to, um, to these idols, burning incense and, and, and taking part of their rice and bringing it down to a bridge and putting it in this bridge and setting it on fire. You know, they're doing stuff like that that just doesn't make a bit of sense to me, but that they are totally sold out to. And we'd sit down and we'd begin to explain this story of how God, one God, is above all other gods. And he created the world. And because of our sin, he had to condemn us. And, and, and that sin then, you know, really leaves us empty and, and ha- without hope. But he loved us enough to send his son. And so we just begin to tell the story. And I don't want to tell you that there was no decisions made. Because I think there were. And I think their life began to demonstrate that. But when we come back to the States, we didn't talk about how many new believers there were. Well, we did, but we did it in a way that was more about how many people we saw pray a prayer. I struggled hard with that. Because praying that prayer, first off, ain't even in the Bible. It's nowhere in Scripture. 
You didn't become a Christian because you said some prayer. You became a Christian because God changed your life. God's done that work in you. And when we interact with people and, and, and begin to witness to people that we know and who we're close with, we're automatically set up to go the next step. We can begin to, to teach and, and, and answer questions and let them see God alive in us. So that as they might respond by praying a prayer, they understand that I can pray this prayer and walk away and it's done. You see, as I speak to people and ask people, you know, how, how did you become a Christian? Well, I prayed this prayer and I got baptized and that was it. Okay. Anything else? Is God alive at work, alive and at work in your life today? I don't know. You see, they've been led to this false hope. This idea that if I say these words, it's okay. I'll do whatever I want, be whoever I want to be, and continue to live my life. But you see, Jesus doesn't leave you where you already are. He may leave you in your circumstances. He may leave you doing whatever it is that you're involved in doing in your life, but he changes you from the inside out. And if you've prayed a prayer and responded to God's truth, I don't want to take that away from you either. But I don't want you to count on it. What's God doing in you today? How's God changed your life? And see, the reason I bring that up is because not only, not only did we see that these two men, their lives were changed, or, or, or that they were engaged with the truth and they responded to the truth, but, but we see that these two men had, had a lasting impact in their life because of the truth. You see, it was easy to see with Andrew. I mean, we see it happening in those very verses. Andrew meets Jesus. Now, all right, let, let's, let's step, take a step back. He's with John the Baptist. Get this in your head. John the Baptist is a radical guy. I mean, when I picture John the Baptist, I see this guy with probably dreads and, and uh, bugs in his teeth and, and probably hyped up because he's eating honey, you know, just honey and bugs, just eating. And that's what he ate. That's what he lived on. And he's wearing these crazy clothes, that, you know, and, and there, I think that there was some connection. In fact, I know there was some connection between what he wore and the things that he ate with, with, uh, with the, uh, the prophets of old. But but specifically in this time, this guy's standing out. And then imagine his first message when nobody heard of him, nobody knew who he was, and he stands up by a river and says, You're all sinners, you're going to die, you need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. Imagine that. But people heard it, and they knew it was the truth, and they began to respond. And then there comes the point when, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist and, and, and John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and all of a sudden the sky opens up, God speaks, a dove comes down and, and, and this is the moment that John the Baptist has been waiting for. You see, his whole, his whole life had been planned out. 
his whole, his whole mission had been explained to him. When you see the Spirit rest on a man, that's the man. He's the Messiah, and you need to let people know. And so from then on out, every time he saw Jesus, or at least the, the, the times that we know he saw Jesus, he's saying, that's the Lamb of God. Come to take away the sin of the world and telling people, trust in him, believe in him, follow him, forget me. Follow him. Imagine what that's like. And, and here's Andrew and this other disciple who have built this relationship with him, and they're learning from him, and they're, they're being changed by him. And they hear him say, the Lamb of God. Well, suddenly, they change teachers. They begin to follow Jesus. In fact, they just didn't follow Jesus. They went and began to tell people about Jesus. So here these two guys are, and, and, and his life begins that transformation process as soon as he sits down and begins to speak with Jesus. And he gets up and he gets so excited, he tells his brother about it. And then his brother's life's transformed. It's not quite as easy to see Peter's in this passage, the, the transformation of Peter in this passage. We see that the very first thing we know of that Jesus ever said to Peter was, you're going to be called Cephas, or Rock, or, or Petra, Peter. That's going to be your name. Well, where'd that come from? What's that all about? Well, look over real quick in, 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 in Luke <clears throat> chapter 5. And this is what we got going on. Now, if you're reading out of the NIV, it, it's, this, this is probably what I, I, I think is one of the confusing things about putting titles and things above the, uh, above the chapters. But in the NIV, you're going to look and you're going to see where Jesus calls his first disciples, the calling of the first disciples. Well, the passage that we've read from John happened well before this passage is about to happen now. I don't know how long that span of time was. I don't know how many days it was, weeks. I, I, don't, I don't know. But I do know that it happened first. So he comes to this place, and, and this is the story in Luke chapter 5. This is the story when Jesus calls John, Andrew, or, or Andrew and Peter, and, and James and John. And, and as I was growing up, and as, as, as I've been in church life, the question was always presented, well, why did these guys just do what they did? Why did they just leave their nets and follow Jesus? Well, there was something really special about Jesus. I think there was. But I think they already had a history with him. You see, they'd already seen him working. Andrew had already been at his house and ate with him. Peter had already been told his name was going to be changed. And then comes this day. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of, of Genesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so, that, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You see, by the time they get to this point, Peter already knows Jesus. He's seen him around. In fact, in a couple of weeks, we'll be looking at a miracle. I I think he was present at this miracle, and I, I think that he had seen and heard Jesus teach and knew who Jesus was. You see, we don't see the transformation spelled out quite as clearly as we do with Andrew. But we do begin to see that Peter, his life was being transformed. You know, a man who was so quick to put his foot in his mouth in so many ways and in so many places at so many times was being changed. You know, Peter didn't come to this place, and when he heard Jesus say, you're going to be called Cephas, he said, man, I need to say the sinner's prayer. In fact, it wasn't until sometime later, at least that we know of, that he even confessed the sin. And it was in the face of Jesus demonstrating who he was, what he was about, and what he was going to do through their lives, that he began to understand how sinful he really was. He begins to be transformed. One of my favorite books of the Bible, written late in his life. First Peter, written to a church, after understanding it, understanding how sinful he was, that he wasn't even worthy to be in the presence of Christ. Understanding how sinful he was, some years later he writes a book calling Christian people to a life of holiness. Not because we're earning our salvation, but in response to God. As, as a response to the truth that we are sinners, that he has saved us, and that he's now called us to something new. You see, Peter's life was changed drastically. Did he get it all right all the time? Absolutely not. Will you and I? Absolutely not. But we're faced, and, and, and we ourselves have a very similar call in our life. I don't know what's brought you to this point. I shared the verse with <clears throat> the verses with you last week that, that God has used so powerfully in my life to let me know that I'm where I'm at as I followed him because he's planned it, he's known it, he's decreed it. I, I, I shared those verses with you, and I, I, I encouraged you that you are here for a reason. Every one of us are, are, are here for a reason. We're... We're feeling called to to start a new church in the midst of an extremely religious society with plenty of churches around the area to offer. And I've challenged you that we don't need to be defined by what's different, but by God at work in our lives and people coming in and seeing us as, as authentic and engaged, intentional believers who are looking to follow Christ. Because I believe that there is a real call on my life and on yours. You see, first, I need to ask you, have you been engaged with the truth yourself? Have, have, have you come to a place and, and understood not only your sinfulness, but the grace of God? 
and seeing that, 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 that as, as, as you move forward, that he is continuing to work in your life. Because as I've said so many times, and I, I'll say it a hundred more, if, and, and I'll say it to the day I die, is that the gospel doesn't stop the second you become converted. The gospel doesn't quit the minute you're, no, the, the, the minute you're a Christian. The gospel continues because the further you go and the more you understand about God's holiness, the more you're going to realize your sinfulness. Why do you think a man like Paul who's writing to the Romans says, what a wicked or wretched man I am? You know, he's somebody we look at and we lift up, and that's the Christian. Boy, that guy has got it. He's got it figured out. He wrote the Bible. But he's calling out and saying, what a wicked man I am. Because the further he goes, the more he realizes he does not deserve the grace that God showed on the cross. Have you been engaged with that truth? And are you being engaged with that truth at every step? Think again about John the Baptist. Your sinners, come be baptized. I can't imagine what his first responders were like. I can't imagine how scared he might have been when he stood up and made that statement. But if he'd brought any other message, it would have been empty. It was confrontational, yes. See, the challenge some of us need to understand is that the truth is confrontational. Do we want to package it and, and put it in such a way that people will actually look at it? Absolutely. But if ever we diminish our sin, or if ever we diminish God's grace, we don't have the truth. And you're going to miss out on how God might work in you. If you're ever counting on your good works or your, or your, or your uh keen insight or your cool ways, you know, if you're counting on that, you're going to miss it. If you're accepting God's grace and just thinking, oh, I can coast and I can sin and I can do whatever I want to do, you're going to miss it. This is something we all need to understand. And it doesn't just happen once. But it's a lifetime of transformation. Do you have people in your life that you're bringing this truth to? Are you engaging others with this truth? People that you know and that you can have conversations with that sometimes are difficult conversations, that sometimes may confront them with their own sin, and other times exalts God's grace but always is, is, is holistic. You know, it, it, it's always both. Do you have people that you know that you're willing to go the extra mile for to make sure that they too are being transformed by the cross? I started to talk about this last week and I, I wanted to save it. And I want you to think about where we would be today if John the Baptist hadn't stood up and said, that's the Lamb of God. Okay, Jesus would have made himself known. He would have continued to do his work. And people would have heard about him. But let me ask you another question. What if Peter and Andrew and James and John and all those that followed, and even the 500 witnesses that saw him after his resurrection, what if they kept it quiet? What if they never told a soul? 
I still believe God would have made himself known. I, I still believe that God has his ways and he could do what he wants to do. But if they were unresponsive, things would be much different today. Let me ask you a question. If the people you know are not being engaged by you with the truth of the gospel, who's going to engage them? Who's going to bring it to them? Who's going to love them enough that they'll risk friendship or risk uh, looking silly or risk their own, their, their own reputation to bring them the truth of the gospel? You see, the great thing is they should already know who you are. They should already have it figured out that you're a believer in Jesus Christ and that you're following him and that your life looks different and maybe a little weird to them because you're a believer in Jesus Christ. But the logical extension of an argument that Christians live the life but never engage their friends with the truth, the logical end to that argument is that we don't love our friends. You see, because if we really believe that Jesus was the Messiah, if we really believe that he died on a cross to save us from our sins, and, and that everyone's a sinner, and that there's no one that can make their own way, if we're not willing to step out and take the ridicule and live the life and say the words, we must not really love them. Because we know that the other side of the argument is is that they're destined for hell without Christ. Do you love your friends enough and your family enough to bring them the gospel? Now, I don't know how long, that, how long this will last, but I, I was thinking about this the other day when I heard that we were going to have uh, brothers playing in the band. Chris and Jeremy, you know, they... They uh, probably have been Christians for a while anyway. I don't, I don't know their story a whole lot. I don't, I don't know a whole lot about where they've been. But I just think, I, I just was thinking as, as this began to happen about how these two brothers were used by God because one of them cared enough to go and tell, his other, tell the other. You know, I, I think it's interesting that as you look around that there's families represented here already. I think it's interesting that, that people are seeing enough, and God's brought enough in that we can begin to see families represented that, that, that aren't just one nucleus of a family, but extended families. When that first started to happen, I thought, well, that's kind of strange. People are really going to think we're a cult if we do this. But you know what? Here it is. We're not the only ones that have it, but we got it, and that's the truth. And we have a call to bring this to people out there that don't know it. So first, you need to be engaged by it. You need to be changed by it. You need to be transformed by it. I can't make it happen. I hope I can give compelling messages, and I hope I can communicate truth, but God's the one that works it in you. And you know what's interesting is that as he works, he really waits for a response. 
See, he didn't tell Andrew to get up and go tell. But Andrew believed it and responded. He called Peter and Andrew both to be apostles, and he sent them at a point in time. <clears throat> but they responded. And he used them in a mighty way. In fact, both of them believed it so much, believed it so deeply, and were transformed so radically by it that they both died for it. Andrew is said to have died on a cross that was in the shape of an X. It's said that, that to prolong his agony, he was scourged, beaten to an inch of his life, and then just hung there by ropes. And he hung there for a couple of days. That's the traditional story. Because he wouldn't renounce Christ. Peter, the story goes that they were going to crucify him, but because he didn't want to be crucified and, and exemplified like Christ, they turned the cross up. He, he asked them to turn the cross upside down, and he was hung upside down on a cross because of his faith in Christ. They had been engaged by the truth and been transformed by it. And their lives showed a lasting impact. So as we finish tonight, I just want to ask you, I want you to look at your life, and I want, to take, I, I want you to take an inventory of your life, and I want you to ask yourself, where has God been active? Where have I been engaged by truth and transformed by it? What's he really done in my life? You know, we're not all called and transformed to get up and preach like Peter did. We're not, we're not all called to die in the same way Andrew did. <clears throat> We're not, all, we're not all, all, all called to be John the Baptist. But we're all called to something. And you're being transformed by God in a very special way to be used by Him to bring His truth to a world that desperately needs to hear it. As we begin this new year, January 28th, we're going to start with, with Kathy and Aaron's house Again, and there's a Bible study. I'm meeting with a man this week to try and start a Bible study that's, you know, I, all of our Bible studies will be off-site, but ultimately that's, that's outside. That, that My hope is, is that we'll engage people who aren't already being engaged with the truth. Um, and we're going to continue to do things that I'm, I'm calling in my mind extravagant love. We've all been loved extravagantly. We've all received this love that's, that, that, that we couldn't, dream up that we couldn't ask for, that we can't earn, but that this extravagant love should reach out from us so that as we grow and as we reach out and as we touch people's lives, they won't be surprised that people who say that they go to the way are really willing to go the extra mile. You see, people that, are, that, that go to the way, I, I pray that we're defined not by Sunday nights or not by cool band or by hip cool flyer, although that's some of the things that may come. But then when people meet us, they see that we love Jesus. Did you not like hip? I'm just asking questions. I like to call you out. What's the deal? You know, I mean, what, 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 what's going on in your life and how is God engaging you, transforming you, and how is it becoming evident to the people around you?
every head bowed and every eye closed, and let's just finish off with a time of prayer and just some reflection. I want you guys just to spend some time taking inventory, getting serious about whether or not you're counting on some prayer you said as a child, some, some little action you took, or whether you've been confronted and transformed by the truth that God is at work in you. And I, I want you to take inventory, and I want you to think about what he's doing. What's he doing now? in your life. Father, I am so grateful for what you've done. I know I've heard stories from people in this room of what you've done in their life, and, and, and I'm so thankful that as, as, as I look around, God, I, I know that you're at work. God, I, I'm thankful that you never quit on us. I'm thankful that you're faithful in every circumstance. I'm thankful that, that you loved us so much that you'd come. And rather than ignore and turn your back on and forget about us, God, you came and you lived with us and demonstrated your grace and truth to us and showed us the way. I thank you that you're changing us, making us into what you created us to be. Thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. The hope in our future and the knowledge that you're, uh, that you're with us walking every step of the way into that future. I pray, God, that you would continue just to work in our lives and that you would transform us in ways that we can't even imagine. That you'd fix what's broken and that you'd break everything that's self-righteous and everything that is of ourselves and is sinful in our life. And I pray that as you do it, God, I pray that you'd encourage us and strengthen us to let people know about it so that your work will be seen in this world. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close out by singing a, the song that we... Um, saying just at the end and I just want you to think again about the words and how special they are because there's in my mind not many songs that demonstrate the truth the way that song Amazing Grace does and especially the way he spun it with that new chorus your chains are gone you have been set free Jesus loved you as you were and he's making you into who you, he knows you can be. Maybe he's not changed your name and called you Peter. But he knows what he's got ahead for you. And now, 